wherever you are, wherever you're listening. My name is Andrew Baker, and I'm alongside my good friend, Adam Lowenstein. You know him as Cat Adam. He's got all the numbers, all things related to Celtic basketball, and pretty much anything you'd ever want to know. Adam, how you doing today? Yeah, doing very well, Daniel. It's glad to be back on air with you. You know, we were we've been back for just a few weeks with Celtics beat, and I'm sure everybody had a great summer, and everybody's ready for Celtics basketball with a few preseason games under our belt already. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's pretty exciting. The Celtics are 0 and 3 through the preseason. Probably <laughs> not necessarily exactly how the team's going to look or do during the regular season, um, but. The Celtics probably won't be really near the top of the rankings throughout. They're probably the bottom. I'm not sure they're going to look this bad. Last night, the Celtics fell to the 76ers on the road in the preseason, 97-85. to They lost, leading the way for the Celtics points-wise was Jared Sullinger. He came off the bench to drop 19 to lead the Celtics in that category. Brandon Bass, 10 rebounds to lead the team that way. I think that's something he can keep up. He's going to need to keep up because the Celtics are going to have to play a lot bigger than themselves if they want to contend in the Eastern Conference, and they're going to have to do a good job rebounding, and that means the undersized guys like Sollinger, like Bass, like Jared Wallace, like Curtis Humphreys, they're going to have to play big and get those boards. Yeah, it was tough watching some of that game last night. Uh, the ugliness of the offense you have a little tough time with the rebounding because you can see the the Sixers, they, they out-rebounded, I think, the Celtics by about 10. And one of the reasons is that the Celtics shot horribly from the field, 36% in comparison to the 76ers, around 50%. And it's different with all the different lineups and everything. We know, I don't think Wallace played half the game on Wednesday. But mm-hmm. last night, it's just that the problem comes down to making shots, and, and I think they're going to have to scrounge for offense, and that's going to be a tough part of the Celtics uh, season this year. We were talking before we got on air about the how, how many three-pointers the Celtics shot and are shooting throughout this preseason. Last night, there were 5-21, but a couple of games before that, put 24 three-pointers. And Adam, how infrequent was that under Doc Rivers? Well, they, in about, as far as regulation games, where they didn't go into overtime, only 5% of the games in which Doc Rivers coached the Celtics, that they attempted that many three-pointers, 24 more three-pointers, 5%. That's about 38 games out of 672 regulation games under Doc Rivers. I'm pretty sure it was in the regular season that they did that. So it's going to be a different team. We're going to see a lot more three-pointers out of this team. And I think I, I read a, a post from, from H. Rod Blakely earlier this week. The entire team is ready to do this because they have so many shooting gigs. And even the big man on the team who's going to be dunking and rebounding for them is going to be outside on the outside. Vitor Fabrani shooting three-pointers for them. Yeah. So it's going to be a very interesting season with that. And we saw just uh, during training camp and just in practices, every, every so often I'll see the posts where the teams do three-point shooting contests at the end of uh, a session, and everybody participates. And that's not terribly uncommon, but for the Celtics, everyone should be participating pretty much. Again, as you said, aside from Fabrani, and speaking about three-pointers, I want to tell you guys what guests we have coming on today. We're going to have Justin Fencerman. You can reach him at Fancy Sports. He works with Sirius XM's Fantasy Sports channel. He's a big, big basketball guy, a big, big Knicks guy. Speaking about a team that took three-pointers, a team that loved to take three-pointers last season overall, taking about just under 11 Three-pointers a game. Excuse me, just that's how many they made. Just under 29 three-point shot attempts per game last season. The New York Knicks. He's a big Knicks fan. He also writes for KFFL.com. He's a big fantasy basketball guy. We'll preview the season for all you fantasy sideheads. I like fantasy basketball. I think it's really fun to do. And also later on in the show, we're going to have Jake Shapiro. He writes for Slam Online and covers the 76ers, the team the Celtics played last night, the Celtics are playing the Knicks tonight, so we got it all covered here in the Celtics beat today. And as far as the Knicks go for tonight, the Celtics were, it was kind of a weird uh, reflection of, of last year's ending of the season, where the Celtics and Avery Bradley and everybody were able to bring back, I think they came back from, it was more than 20 points that they were down in game six of the Eastern Conference first round, 
And then on two, on Wednesday night against the Knicks, we're down about 20 points. Chris Babb, not you know, not the starters, but Chris <laughs> Babb and these you know this gang of of Celtics bench youth, including Phil Pressy, also came back from about a 20 point deficit and made it a fun game. Tim Hardaway ended up having the well, Tim Hardaway Jr. End up having the game winner for the Knicks, but it was a fun finish for a very odd preseason game. Now, I think it was up in, uh, I think it was New Hampshire that they were playing on on Wednesday night against the Knicks. Actually, it was in Providence, Rhode Island, the Dunkin' Donuts Center. So, just a weird 103-102 game. And and we did I did mention Fab Ronnie. He did hit one of two three pointers that game. So even him getting into hey. the three point uh, the three point magic for the Celtics team. You mentioned a guy like Phil Pressey. He dropped 13 points, three rebounds, seven assists, and two steals. Really filled the stat sheet in that one-point loss to the Knicks, 103-102 to New York. And Pressey is a guy that's a really interesting case. He's a young guy. I, I talked about him a little bit last week. I really liked him on those Missouri teams. Um, I can't remember their head coach's name, but they really preached that 40 minutes of hell, nonstop pressing. Kate? Frank Kate, yes, yes, yes. And just running up and down the court nonstop is really – we both believe that that's what the Celtics are going to have to do because they don't have the size to really compete against uh, a lot of these teams. And if they're going to have to create, so to speak, their offense on their own, they're going to have to get buckets in transition. They're going to have to push the tempo to really play to their strength, and that's playing small ball. And Phil Pressy is the guy with the injury to Rondo who's really going to have to step up and – and be a big part of this team. Last night, he played 18 minutes, six points, five assists. So really, he he might be the the lone really true point guard on this team aside from Rondo. And he was one of the best assists man in in the Big 12 over the last few years for the Missouri Tigers. I think he set franchise records or uh, school records in in those areas, and was I think the best as far as assist to turnover ratio. And when you were talking about his defense. That was an amazing part of what he was showing in Summer League and a little bit of what he's been doing in the preseason thus far. He may not be a starter for this team, and we don't even know how many minutes he'll have when Rondo returns, but it's really a nice showcase for a guy who will, will, would not have this opportunity on many other teams. The Celtics actually have this spot where they have a little bit of a... You know, it feels like a shallow end of the of the pool as far as their point guard position, but with Jordan Crawford slipping into the mix, you know, Pressy does feel a little... Um, you know, a little bit of pressure, so that's giving him a little bit of that bump, and it's great to see him stepping up. Because even though Pressy might be the only point guard, the one good thing for the Celtics is that they have a ton of guys who can handle the ball. Avery Bradley can handle the ball. Jordan Cropper can handle the ball. Even their bigs, Jeff Green, he can handle the ball. It, it, there are a lot of guys on the team who at least are comfortable with it in their hands who can make baskets on their own. A guy like Courtney Lee, who I think is really going to have to have a big season. He seems to be part of the Celtics' plans for the future. One guy who probably is not necessarily going to be around for that much longer, Gerald Wallace. But he is having quite the start to his preseason. Really seems to be an impactful guy and uh, could be could be the leader. I mean, we know he's a veteran, but pretty much he's auditioning for teams that he's probably going to get traded with that contract and the Celtics obviously looking to build for for the long haul, he's not going to be part of those plans, but he's done very, very well, and I, I think he's definitely going to have a bounce back here this season. Yeah, he's making about $10 million each of the next four se- – I'm sorry, each of the next three seasons before he's an unrestricted free agent, I think, uh, after the 2017 – or after the 2016 season. So. Thank you, Mikhail Prokhorov. Thank you. <laughs> wow, yeah, Charles Wallace, wow. I can't believe he got that much money, but – it's nice to see him filling in in a veteran leadership role that not too many people knew where that was going to come from, with the exception of Rondo, for the upcoming season. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough situation for the Celtics team because they really have so many young guys, and that's part of the reason why they're in this youth movement. And what they're trying to do is bring together all these pieces. He's going to be Wallace and, and Humphreys are, are two contracts that they're that they're thinking are. You know the detriments to this, but they were part of the trade, and that they're going to have to help, and that they're definitely going to be two players who could be starters for this team moving forward because of the impact that they can make on the floor and off the floor. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be too much of a shock to see Humphreys and Wallace if the Celtics are going really really small alongside maybe maybe Jeff Green as well. Then you have Avery Bradley, maybe Courtney Wayne or two. It, it, it's it would be overall relatively small uh, small lineup, but. It would be it would be fun for sure, and 
very versatile, which is definitely something that Brad Stevens is going to have to utilize the versatility on the team. And, I mean, we know he, he he's used to coaching teams that don't necessarily score. The Butler teams he had never really lit up the scoreboard. They're really going to have to focus on defense. Shocking, the Celtics playing defense, I know. But without Kevin Garnett, they're, they're probably going to have to have a little bit of a different system. I'm sure Stevens is bringing Butler. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be very interesting. Uh, a team that, well, let's say they're uh, impartial to defense. Uh, the New York Knicks, at, at least in the last season, <laughs> we're going to bring in a guy now, Justin Fesserman, writes for KFFL.com about fantasy basketball, also works with SiriusX, works with me at SiriusX, and works on the Fantasy Sports Channel. He's a great guy. He's a Knicks fan. We won't hold that against him, though. Justin, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. How are you doing today? Hey, don't hold it against me. I don't know how your team, the Celtics, are going to look this year, Mr. Baker, but thank you so much for having me. We already know that the Celtics are going to look atrocious this year, most likely atrocious, at least since Rondo gets back. When they when he gets back, I think they'd be a team that could fight for the playoffs, fight for that eighth seed, but, oh, God, it's going to be pretty ugly. But the Knicks, one of the teams that the Celtics have already played this preseason, they face each other on the ninth, and... As a fan, what have you seen so far from the Knicks this preseason through training camp that you're excited for looking forward? I'm really looking forward to seeing the uh, uh, guy like Amon Shumpert taking the next step. It seems like he's got a shot down really well. You saw it at the end of last season, and he can become more of a scoring factor. You know, there are a lot of players out there who earn their minutes, guys like Tony Allen, by their defense, especially perimeter defense, and that's what Shumpert does. And in the first game of the preseason, I'm always nervous because Shumpert really came back from a knee injury last year, and I'm really, really nervous and skeptical and don't want him to think that he's Superman and still play somewhat conservatively as his leg continues to heal so he doesn't have problems down the road. Also, I like seeing rookie Tim Hardaway Jr. had a very nice shot on him. Obviously, looks like he's not afraid to take the shot, and that's what the Knicks are going to need, especially when they have games when J.R. Smith is off, and they're going to have games where he's off. That's where Hardaway's going to have to come in and be the sharpshooter. And it was great to see Tim Hardaway do it in front of his father on Wednesday night. It was a really fun shot for him, especially after that big Celtics comeback among these very odd lineups that we saw on Wednesday night in Rhode Island. As far as tonight goes, I think Mello and Felton are, are going to sit out tonight, and we're going to see a mismatch of different lineups you know, to continue throughout the preseason. But as far as Carmelo Anthony going into this year, this is really a year that they're going to have to. He's going to have to continue to step it up because. You know, he really has an interesting team around him, and he's going to have to really look for the next step after going after bowing out in the second round last year. What are the expectations for Melo and the Knicks this year? Well, the, it all depends on where he plays. I think if they shift him back to small forward, it'll be a lot more p- problematic. But I think with all the injury issues with Amari Stoudemire as the preseason and the preseason approaches, you know, you can't depend on Melo you know, now being at the small forward where the Knicks have a whole power forward. So if they play him at the four, I think Melo will be a lot more disciplined, a lot more defensive-minded like you saw last year. He was a lot better because he had that reputation of not playing any defense, played great post-defense last year, was more under the basket on defense instead of going for the outlet pass. Yeah, he was the top scorer in the NBA, so it really only looks like it goes downhill from here, and I think it will, especially with the acquisition of a guy like Andrea Bargnani, will be open a lot from behind the arc. And I think that Melo, the scoring will go down a little bit, but if they play him at the four, I think you're going to see definitely more of a defensive Melo this year. But he'll always look for the shot. You, everyone knows that. That's another guy that you just put up that I'm really, really intrigued about because with the Knicks, I thought they might have gone after someone. I know T- Tyson Chandler is a great defensive player, but really outside of him, I thought they might have – want to maybe maybe bulk up a little bit more. Obviously, Melo, if he's playing the three, he's a big three. I love him at the four, as you're saying. He's such a mismatch because most fours can't keep up with him athletically, and obviously he has every single move in the playbook and can take advantage of smaller guys as well. But uh, Bargnani, I thought they might have wanted to beef up a little bit. He doesn't strike me as someone who's never been known necessarily for his defense. What is he going to add to this team? It's not like they need another guy, a seven, another seven-footer or power forward who can shoot threes. Right, but I think at the same time, 
And now, especially with Amari Hurt, I'm happy the Knicks have him as a fan and also thinking from a team perspective. You know, now Bargnani comes in because he takes some of the minutes off of Amari Stoudemire, off of Kenyon Martin. Bargnani comes in, draws out the defenders, will bring you up offensively a bit. And, hey, Mike Woodson has made a lot of these offensive-minded players into defensive-minded ones. J.R. Smith's perimeter defense improved vastly last year. We were talking about Mello and how great he was in the post earlier on, guys. And now, you know, hey, he disciplines Andrea Bargnani a little bit. Maybe he gets more than three rebounds a game. And I think that it takes the pressure overall off of Amari, off of Kenyon Martin, and it definitely draws mismatches from the other way. So was I overly excited about the move? No, but I wasn't I wasn't upset at all. And you mentioned J.R. Smith, and he's definitely part of an interesting battle at the short at the shooting guard position this season. And with Iman Shumpert showing some great skills in the preseason, we have Smith with that injury still not traveling with the team. What do you think as far as this battle goes? And J.R. Smith may be trying to have another six-man-of-the-year award in his trophy case by the end of the year if this continues. Well, this is once again contingent upon the lineup, and Mike and Mike Woodson has not given any indication of who's in the starting role, which I'm very happy about because it's making it competitive. Uh, we all know J.R. Smith coming off a very poor playoff showing against the Celtics and, of course, against the Pacers last year. And so J.R. Smith is going to be in for a fight. You know, like we talked about Tim Hardaway Jr., you know, now he comes in, shows he can shoot a bit, and shows he's going to play aggressively. That's what Mike Whitson wants to see. It's no name recognition. It's what he sees on that practice court. And J.R. Smith's going to have to come back, and he's going to have to earn his spot. It's not necessarily his. I don't think, you know, it's more up to me. I would really try to start Prigioni and Felton at this point. But at, at the same time, I know that the Knicks coaching is still a little timid with that considering then it leaves only Dino you know, Ugrid on the end for the point guard as their third point guard option. So, you know, if you start with them two, then you got both of them off the bench, and that makes the Knicks' bench court very, very tough to deal with. Right before we get into fantasy, Melo playing a lot of power forward role last season. By far his best PER throughout the whole season, 24.8, right up there with the best in the league. I'm expecting big things from him again after getting that scoring title. I think that's just something he probably really wanted, and now that he has it, I think they can really focus on getting it done in the playoffs. But we brought you on because you're also a fantasy basketball expert, and before the season is about to come, I mean, Melo, I'm sure he's high up in your draft board, but looking at the season right now, there's a lot of stars that are coming off injuries. Is there one that, uh, one of the top guys coming back, like a Derrick Rose, maybe even like a Rondo, though he won't be ready for a while, maybe Westbrook? Who do you have the most faith in coming back from injury this season? Well, naturally, you know, I'd want to say Derrick Rose because let's face it, everybody knows that's an NBA fan that he has been included to play since February. Uh, he could have come back last season, and I really think that they should have brought him back. But that's a whole different topic. But another guy that actually that I've seen now, Kevin Love, is another guy that you got to be careful of. The arguable top five pick. He's coming back from injury. He averaged 18 and 14 before going out. This guy can help you in at least four categories in an elite way. So absolutely, Kevin Love's that guy for me. And... Uh... Another uh, little bit of focus on the Celtics real quick here before we get back to the general NBA. This is about fantasy too. Jeff Green, if I had to pick a player on the Celtics, because Rondo, no idea when he's coming back. Personally, I don't want to see him back on the court until probably 2014. But is Jeff Green probably – is Jeff Green the Celtics player to have in fantasy basketball this season, or is it maybe someone like a Sullinger? You know, it's funny you say Solinger because immediately when you asked me that, I would have, I was going to say Solinger. But remember, Solinger is another guy coming back from an injury. So right now, I'd say the safest option is Jeff Green. Value wise, though, I think Jared Solinger you get him a tremendous value. You know, he has a very interesting part of his game where he can shoot from the outside. I've seen him make shots, and I was very impressed because he went out so early last year that we didn't really get to see him. I know you guys are Celtics fans. So you know all this stuff, but for someone who doesn't watch the Celtics every game and seeing that outside game, that's definitely going to draw mismatches. And he's not afraid to drive to the basket either. You know, we've seen it. So I think Jared Solinger at the end, by the end of the season, will be like Jared Solinger is that guy that you want. 
because we don't know when Rondo's coming back. But at this point right now, Jeff Green is that safe option. And don't discredit Gerald Wallace as well, because Gerald Wallace was a fantasy phenom just a few years ago in multiple categories. And another thing that's always so important in fantasy basketball is looking at who potential sleepers are for the season. And are there any names out there that really aren't getting a lot of press I mean, that, that you have your eye on? That'd be good, be it early round, even a little bit later in the season. Who really is going to jump out at us this year and go, oh, man, I, I didn't see that one coming? You're already seeing it in preseason. Andre Drummond, as long as he can stay healthy, he is going to be a very, very solid power forward option, easily double-double machine, has very nice offensive nights where he's going to have 20 points. He's going to have at least 10 rebounds, possibly 13. I think Andre Drummond, though, you know, it's going to definitely help the toughness of a piston. So he's a guy that you can get in the middle of your draft. Late-round guy Trevor Ariza, always good in the steals. Keeps your three-point shooting percentage up, especially at this point he might be starting, so he might have minutes on his side. So that's a good late-round guy. Another good one, you mentioned Daniel much in uh, you know, teams that don't really get much coverage. The Sacramento Kings are nothing to write home about, but Gravis Vasquez now joining them. He comes their number yeah. two option behind DeMarcus Cousins, and he's actually going to probably one of my top sleepers, if not my top sleeper, going into this year. Had a great fantasy year last year. Rookie, Go Terps. What's that? Go Terps for Vasquez. I don't know if, honestly, would you still consider him a sleeper before you continue? Because, I mean, this is a guy who led the NBA in assists last season, at least in total assists. He's one of the top in assists per game. I mean, he had a full season of showing what he could do, and with the triple-double potential as well. I mean, is he a sleeper? I think he's still considered a sleeper. I mean, he did it for one season, so I don't think he has everyone on his side, and you'd still be able to get him. You know, when I think of fantasy sleepers, I think of at this point, guys you can still get in the middle of your draft who will give you that kind of value, and Grievous Vasquez is one of those guys. All right, and who 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 are you about to say before the, uh, one of the other sleepers? Well, one of the other sleepers, rookie Trey Burke, is going to be taking over the Darren Williams role of the old-school Jazz. Now he goes on this team of the Jazz, and it's, the offense is going to be going through him. Very good score. I like what I've seen in preseason. And don't forget, by the way, for a big center option, late in your draft, probably mid to late, Anderson Verajal. The guy was averaging 14 and 14 before he went down with the blood clot in his lung. So, yeah, and that Anderson should be a very, is a very good guy to look at. Should be a very exciting team to see him with Kyrie Irving for a full season, Bennett as well the top pick in the draft, and just a lot of good pieces on that Cleveland Cavaliers team. But the question everyone wants to know, and i got to ask you, and it's probably going to be silly because I know the answer already, but say you get first pick overall this season. Is it LeBron or is it Kevin Durant? It is LeBron. It is LeBron. You know, I, I like Durant. I like what he could do, especially in the scoring end, but I think LeBron brings an overall balance to your team, and I'm much more comfortable taking LeBron especially when he's having off nights. LeBron will still help you in other categories where it gets to Durant's head a little bit more, I've seen. So LeBron's still my guy and still the safer option. And that doesn't change knowing that Westbrook might be out a bit. And basically, Oklahoma City Thunder's offense is going to be Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant, and probably a little bit more Kevin Durant. Well, that's the thing. How much more can he score? I mean, he's going to need that second scoring option. This is where he probably wishes he had James Harden on his team still. So, you know, Kevin Durant... (laughs) can't do much more scoring than he is now. He's going to have to find that second option because, like I just said, he's going to have nights where he's off. And right before I let you go, you brought up that guy, the beard, the best beard in the NBA, James Harden on the Rockets. Is he Is he going to be what, – what, what do you see from him? But not just him. I want to know what you think about Dwight Howard as well because Howard obviously had a down season last year, but – Fantasy-wise, especially, do you think he's going to bounce back after that tumultuous season he had with the Lakers? Well, I think the thing is with Dwight Howard, he was very unhealthy last year. At the end of the day, if the guy is still giving you, like a, like we were talking Kevin Love, the guy, if Dwight's still giving you 18, 19, and 14 rebounds, everyone discounts like 
because of his free throw shooting percentage, and that's one category. And the way to win fantasy basketball championships is by getting a balance. So if you have one or two guys that are terrible at shooting free throws, you can get other guys to balance them out and cancel it out and still have a decent percentage. So in terms of James Harden, he did a lot of scoring. Now with Dwight there, the scoring burden is going to be off him a little bit. So the scoring doesn't the scoring will go down. However, I do not see other categories. I still see him getting rebounds. Very good assist guy. Gets six, seven assists a game. I still see him doing that, especially with a big guy like Dwight Howard in the middle. You'll see some alley-oops from them, too. And so I still think that he'll be productive. But if he scores maybe four or five less points a game, I don't think it's anything to freak out about. You're still getting tremendous production. A lot of guys to look out for. Some really good names floating around that you might be able to get later in the draft. Justin Fetterman, thank you so much. If you want to follow him on Twitter, it's at Fancy Sports, which is F-E-N-S-T-Y Sports. Pretty easy there. Works with Sirius XM Fantasy Channel, KFFL.com, Fantasy Basketball Writer. Justin, are you working on anything that we should be looking out for before the season starts? Well, I guess the next thing I'm going to be working on is who the ideal pick is at number three. We're talking James Harden, him, Chris Paul, Kevin Love in the mix. Who is that guy? What are you going to do if you have that very threatening and scary third pick overall? I'm going to tell you in just the next few days. All right. We'll be on the look for that. Thanks so much for joining us on Celtics Beat. Always a pleasure, and I'm sure we'll have you on once again to talk Knicks, fantasy, and all things NBA. Thanks so much, Justin. Thanks again, guys, for having me. Have a great rest of the show. All right. Appreciate it. Again, that was Justin Fenserman. From KFFL.com, also SiriusXM Fantasy Channel, we're about to have Jake Fisher join us from Slam Online, one of the preeminent basketball magazines in in the world. I'll go. I'll, I'll say in the world covers the 76ers, his childhood team. So we'll talk to him about the Sixers. Talk to him about other things in the NBA. You can follow him at Jake L Fisher on Twitter if you want. For us, you can follow us at Celtics underscore beat. That's Twitter. Adam, what's your Twitter handle? Tell the folks. Uh, it's at Stats Adam. I'll be sure to keep you guys updated with statistics all over the place. And one of those things about Rondo is he's going to be continuing that, you know, all these assist records and everything like that for, for, Red, for the Celtics franchise history. It'll be interesting to see where he falls in drafts this year, especially where you'll have to stash him and, you know, wait on at least a month or two. Yeah, I think how long you're willing to wait and yeah. it's at what point is the player you're about to draft in that spot more valuable than having someone come back who could potentially be one of the top players on your team. I'd still be wary of getting someone off an injury, although I had him on my team last year and absolutely loved him. But just, you, don't, injury. Yeah, you don't know how he's going to perform. But you can also follow CL on this radio on Twitter. You can like us on Facebook if you haven't done it. Definitely go ahead and do that. We have so much content for you and so much throughout the whole season, be it on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, a lot of great content. Rondo coming back from injury. Be very, very interesting to see how he's going to play this season. Where is he going to get picked up in fantasy? I'm not really sure. But the Celtics outlook this season, not 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 terribly good. Can we can we agree on that? Well, it's it's the individual players and their development. And when you say that, and you know it's a new coach and it's a lot of new players, it's going to be different goals than previous years. Well, there's another team that really kind of decided <laughs> to I don't know, make some bold moves, and it looks like looks like they're tanking. Looks like they're tanking. <laughs> Trying to I don't know what the uh, the saying is trying to lose to get Wiggins because it's not drowning. Uh, Sucker Wiggins? Is that what it is? Sucker Wiggins? Is that what it is? I don't know. But another team who might be doing that is 76ers. And to help us talk about the 76ers, also all things that are going around the NBA this season, Jake Fisher from Slam Magazine. So excited to have him on. He's a great guy. You can follow, find him at Jake L. Fisher on Twitter. Jake, thanks for joining us today on Celtics Beat. How's it going? Good, man. How are you, Dan? Not too bad. Daniel, alongside Stats Adam, Adam Lonestein, will be uh, talking about the 76ers here right off the bat before we get to some general NBA stuff. The Celtics lost to the Sixers last night. We talked about it from Boston's point of view. From a 76ers point of view, 
What did you see from last night's game? And did you pick up anything that could be a trend throughout the season going forward? I'm actually watching the, the replay on CSN right now. Uh, the, the biggest thing I picked up from the Sixers last night is that it, it kind of reaffirmed my, my my thoughts from the first two games that I watched the team play in Spain and and uh, in Manchester. That this team's going to be a run and gun team because they really they don't have a lot of shooting. The only way for the Sixers team to score is going to be to get out in transition and attack the defense when they're not set. Other than that, this team doesn't have many players outside of Evan Turner. And maybe maybe Thad Young who can create their own shots. So with that in mind, um, it's going to be a lot of up and up and down, up, back and back and forth with the Sixers team. And if they're if they're missing shots, which many people are expecting to, it's going to be a long season. Sounds a little bit like the Celtics. <laughs> yeah. And and the tough thing about last night was seeing Royce White commit so many fouls in so few minutes. Uh, you know, it's kind of weird seeing him out there because we haven't really seen much. NBA basketball out of this guy. What do you think about Royce White's prospects with the 76ers? Yeah, when you watch Royce White in college at Iowa State, he was kind of like a Boris Diaw back uh, when he was with the Suns, when he was in really good shape as a starter, a six man with, uh, with Steve Nash and Morris Bademeyer. Last night, he looked slow. Um, when, he, when he made a good move and he got to the rim, he couldn't finish at all. Um, he shot two for six, which doesn't look that bad, but it, just the way he moved, you could tell it was his first NBA caliber game uh, in his in his life. Uh, well, actually, I think he played a few preseason games last season, so in a year. Um, he definitely has a long way to go. Unfortunately, with the team's injuries to Arnett Moultrie, I think he'll probably be on the roster. I think he would would have uh, benefited starting off down in the D-League with the 87ers. But at this point, I think he's going to have an opening day roster spot, and going to be about get, playing in the shape with it for him. I'm sure Houston fans are a little bit bummed about that, his, his prospects after that team took a risk on him, and now seeing him finally in NBA uniform, but in Philadelphia. The first-round pick for the Sixers, though, was on the court last night. Six points, six rebounds, six assists. He's definitely one of the taller point guards, if not the tallest point guard in the NBA. Michael Carter-Williams, do you like what you see so far from this guy? I have liked what I've seen. A lot of people are in Philadelphia especially are, are very against him. They think Michael Carter-Williams is going to be an automatic bust because he can't shoot. Um, but the big knock on him down in Orlando, besides the shooting, was how he turned the ball over. And through these three preseason games, Michael Carter-Williams has 16 assists to this one turnover. The fact that he's so big and he knows how to handle the ball and has great body control, he's going to be able to get to the rim and finish. Um, it, with him, it's just going to be a matter of if he has the teammates to to move without the ball, get open, and convert when he finds them. Because the offense he ran in Syracuse was was pretty much he drove and he dished there or dumped it down to a big guy. So if, if that's uh, what Michael Carter-Williams is, is called upon to do, I think he's going to be successful. But what I'm worried about is having a guy like Evan Turner and a, and a quote-unquote veteran like Darius Morris come in and be a little too ball-dominant and, and prevent Michael Carter-Williams from developing this season. And it's kind of funny that you brought up uh, shooting as being w- one of the worst parts of his game. W- when I hear that, it's just it's it's a little ridiculous when people are so worried about it. He's not Obviously, he's not a great shooter, but shooting is the easiest thing to work on as an NBA player, as you get better, yeah. you can go to the gym. You can shoot 500, 1,000 shots a day to improve. You can get better. But the other things he has, the court vision, that assist-to-turnover ratio that you mentioned, that feel for the yeah. game, the vision, that's what you can't teach necessarily. But that's what he has. Don't worry about shooting. That's going to come. I really, I like the pick. I thought it was pretty ballsy. And I, I thought it set him up nicely, not only for this season, but definitely down the road as well. He can he can definitely yeah. be a point guard on a winning team. Absolutely. And, and the big thing to keep in mind is when, when you're in college, uh, you played, I think he spent two or three years with Syracuse. Um, when you're in college, you're also a student. Say what you want about NCAA athletes, but basketball isn't your job and it's not what you're paid to do. Now he's now that playing for the Philadelphia 76ers is his full-time job, he will be at liberty to only work, only focus on working on his deficiencies. He doesn't have to worry about going to class or, or, or getting the right amount of meals for the dining hall. 
he has his life committed to being a, a member of the Philadelphia 76ers, and I think that's, that's going to uh, give an opportunity to improve. And it's shown thus far this preseason, 16 assists and one turnover in three preseason, preseason games. It's great to see Michael Carter-Williams fitting into a role, at least early on. And as far as the Absolutely. 76ers in general, oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. And I was looking, I was watching uh, the Grantland previews of, you know, Bill uh, Simmons and Jalen Rose, and, and you know, felt like yep. a fellow Celtics fan, Bill Simmons, you know, he has the, the 76ers at the bottom of the rung, you know, at the bottom of the league. I was a little surprised that they'd be 30th for him. Uh, what's your opinion on that? No, I think they're going to be the worst team in the league. Uh, I heard an over-under at 16 and a half, and I kind of wanted some money on it. I, I, I think the, the, they're playing well in the preseason, but it's the preseason, and the, and the style of play that they're going to play isn't going to translate into the NBA for a full 84 games, especially because they're playing teams who are, who are probably, like the teams like the Oklahoma City Thunder, are trying probably to focus more on setting up their, their half-court offensive sets, maybe working on a few defensive rotations, and the Sixers team was they're just playing ball to the wall, running 100 miles an hour in the whole game. That's not going to win you many games in the NBA over 48 minutes. But we saw that a lot last season with the Sixers. They would play a great three quarters in the fourth quarter. They collapsed because they didn't have anyone to get their own shot. So even even though they're they're fun and exciting, they're going to be a fun and exciting team that loses a lot of games. <laughs> well, before we get to some of the guys in the NBA currently, then say the 76ers do lose a ton of games, say they get the, the the ping pong balls farther away, and they end up with the number one pick overall. Are you looking at Wiggins, or is there someone else that might fit them better? Or have you have you looked that far ahead? As a, for, for me personally, I, th- I think getting a big guy would work better for the Sixers team. But I, I would prefer, as a Sixers fan, I, I prefer, even as, as a writer in general, I prefer that leadership role on an NBA team that comes from a, a big guy. Like like David West, what he did for uh, for Indiana, how Carl Landry came into Golden State last year and brought in that veteran toughness. I'd like to see them take Wiggins and maybe look for a low-post score in free agency because they're going to have a lot of cap room. So if you have a core of Andrew Wiggins, Michael Carter-Williams, uh, and Earl Zoella, and one of these other first-round picks that, was, that Sam Hinkie uh, collected, Tony Roten, James Anderson, or, or even a guy like a Cleese Wire or Vander Blue, if they come into play at the two guard, you look for free agency to get that big guy. Even though Julius, a guy like Julius Randle and Jabari Parker are very attractive, I think as of now, going into the season, again, the whole college season could change things. Maybe Wiggins doesn't play as advertised, but at this point, I, I think he's a runaway favorite no matter who gets that first pick. Yeah, that makes sense. And this 76ers team is definitely stockpiling a lot of picks after we saw them uh, going for the two of the best, really, picks this year in the draft. And as far as leadership on the team right now, is Evan Turner not the leader that he was supposed to be? Is he not the guy who's going to – he's going to lead more by example? Where does he fit into this puzzle that's going to move forward with the Philadelphia 76ers? Oh, he's definitely a leader now. Um, when Before training camp got, got started at St. Joe's University – in Philadelphia, the team had a lot of involuntary workouts, and Evan Turner was the guy who who was leading them before the coaching staff came in. He's definitely a leader. Thad Young is a leader. Spencer, those three guys. Um, it, it was a foolish comment, but Brett Brown said that they're 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 the, the same kind of like the same big three of the Spurs. That was definitely a foolish comment to me. But at the same time, they're they're by far the most experienced guys on the team outside of Jason Richardson and Kwame Brown. Kwame Brown is clearly not a leader or a guy. You, I, I tweeted out my I watched their game last night for five minutes, and my two takeaways were that I didn't want Nerlens Noel sitting next to Kwame Brown on the bench, and I think that Nerlens Noel is a good dresser. You don't want Kwame Brown being a leader, and uh, Jason Richardson won't even probably play until February. So the only guys you have are going to be shooting up that have at least. Uh, three years of experience on this team are those three guys. When, when you have that, when you have that, the only issue is that those guys are also all on the trading block. You talked about the Sixers stockpiling picks in this year's draft. I wouldn't be shocked to see if Evan Turner. Actually, I'd, I, I'd be surprised if Evan Turner wasn't moved before the deadline, and, and if, if that package that got back included a first-round pick in next year's draft too. The lack of leadership, especially then. Uh, and maybe lack of big men on the team. There's a guy floating out there in free agency who hasn't been picked up yet. And say, say, say what you will about 
his ability on the court. But one thing you can't deny and that teams really love about him is his leadership that he brings. Jason Collins, why haven't the Six had the Sixers reached out to him? If it, it, and if not, why 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 not? Because after what you just said, he sounds like he'd be a perfect fit for this team. No, I hadn't even thought about that until you said that. And um, last night, I actually pulled up his basketball. One of my friends was joking around uh, about him, and uh, we pulled up his basketball reference page. I'm on it now. Um, he honestly hasn't been a, a really big contributor in the NBA since 2007-2008. Um, since that season, he hasn't played more than 50 games, and he hasn't played more than 600 minutes, or more than 593 minutes. So even though... He's a big guy who can bring veteran leadership. He hasn't been called upon to, to play a significant role in the court for five, six years. I think what the Sixers lack in terms of leadership is on-the-court leadership. I don't think they're lacking in the locker room. I think they have plenty of guys on this team who are confident. Even though it might be rational confidence, they have plenty of guys on this team who are confident enough to take on a leadership role in the locker room. And if they don't have that veteran who's going to put their arm around Michael Carter and his shoulder and say, Hey, young man, you have to save some of your money. You have, don't go out tonight. Go and get some rest. But they do have guys who understand how who understand how to do that. Like a Saturday's young. Uh, in terms of on-court leadership, uh, Jason Collins, I don't think he'd be the leader they need, but he could provide a, a, a body on 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 the court. This team is very depleted in the front court with their big men. Arnett Moultrie was supposed to come in and uh, in the second year and have an improved year. He got hurt, and he's out till February. And um, Palmer Brown obviously isn't going to bring anything wholly out of this world to help this team. But at the same time, I don't think the Sixers are looking into uh, bringing a veteran presence. That all the big guys that they brought in once their guys went down are all two two year pros at the most. Most of them are rookies. So even though it's a good idea, I don't think it's going to happen. And also bring in someone like Collins, though it would most likely be for one year deal because he's been in the league so long. It, it, it is going to have to be a much higher one-year contract than someone who has only been in the league for a couple of years, doesn't have necessarily the pedigree that he does. So I, I do see where you're coming from and that they need the on-the-court leadership. Um, and as we, we, we look forward to the season, because I know you've covered the 76, but you're a big NBA, fan, you're a big, big NBA guy. I'm sure, sure you're looking at a lot of the other teams as well. What uh, what are some of the big storylines that you're really looking forward to this season? Interesting. I think the uh, the big storyline that's that's really the most obvious in everyone's minds are what the Brooklyn what the Brooklyn Nets are going to look like. Um, clearly, they made a, they made a lot of big moves, but no one knows how it's going to actually play out. Um, the whole I really like the whole battle for New York thing that that's kind of been brewing. That's probably something I'll be interested in, especially because I grew up so close to New York and South Jersey, close to Philadelphia. Um, I'd be I'd be very interested interested to see those two teams go out and battle on the court. And there's there's a lot of great storylines in the Eastern Conference. We're even forgetting about the Indiana Pacers, who were in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. And as far as the the Miami Heat going for the third straight championship. Do you yep. think that it's Miami Heat in the field? Do you think it's like a fifty fifty thing as far as that goes this year? I don't know. The Pacers are a fun team to watch, and they definitely got better this offseason, too. They added Louis Scola. They improved. C.J. Watson uh, is a big improvement with D.J. Augustine, the backup point guard. And they get Danny Granger back healthy, too. So they're not – then they took the Heat to seven games. The Bulls have Derrick Rose back. Again, we talked about the Nets. Um, we, we don't know how good the Hawks are going to be. They could be a contender to, to get to the second round, too. I don't think they have, they have the chops and the talent to get to the conference finals. But they definitely could win a playoff series. The East, the East is definitely full of teams uh, that could give the Heat a run for their money. It's definitely the Heat versus the field. But at the same time, if the Heat have one injury or one player is not feeling it, they lost a big, a big asset in Mike Miller. I think they're very vulnerable this season, and the most vulnerable they've been since they put together that big three. Well, there's definitely a lot to look forward to. Your team, though, and our team. Celtics and the Sixers, not a lot of wins to look forward to this season, but could be some building blocks and some things to look forward to. I'm sure they'll be battling it out uh, for tr- trying to get that top pick, even though they're not going to come out and say it. But it'd be nice to see Wiggins in, in 
one of those jerseys because those are two two really good franchises that really make the NBA better when they're both winning. Jake, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time today. I know you, you do stuff for Slam Online. Also, uh, do some stuff about mid-major basketball if you guys are interested in college basketball. Well, are you working on anything coming up that we should keep an eye out for? I wrote a nice piece on, on NBA teams drafting and stashing players overseas. I'm working on a follow-up piece on how to improve the D-League for Slam Online. So definitely keep your eyes open for that over the next couple weeks. All right, great. We'll definitely put that on Twitter as well. It was always a pleasure. Thanks so much for your time, and uh, well, I'm sure we'll speak to you again later this season. Hey, you got it, Dan. Thanks again. Yeah, no problem. Again, that was Jake Fisher. Works for Slam Online, as he said. And def- oh, Brett Young writer. I know him from my days back at camp, but he's a real good kid and a fantastic writer. So definitely check out all his work on the 76ers and more. An NBA junkie just like myself and you and all of us here at CLNS. <laughs> it's really interesting to see if the Celtics and 76ers will be able to combine for enough wins to make the playoffs with the way that we were talking about them. <laughs> I, it's, I think of Ron, again, I think if Rondo yeah. is going to be, would be healthy, I think this is a team that could definitely be in the eighth spot. Uh, I think Rondo is that good of a player. But without him, you know when he's coming back, and you don't know how healthy he's going to be when he does come back. This is it's, just, it's a bad team. They're both teams that have no idea how they're going to score. And it was tough watching last night, and, and even afterwards, Gerald Wallace was talking about the, the cohesion between the teams. You know, it's not good to see if it – I think he even said in the first quarter it was five individuals, not a team. If it's like that early on in the preseason, I'm not sure I'm seeing something come what? back. Well, I just mean if Rondo comes into this fold, it's going to be tough to bring everything together again. It's going to be another building block time. I don't know. It's just worrisome. I'm, I'm not terribly worried about that just because in the preseason, especially with a team like the Celtics who really need to find out their identity and find out what they're going to do with so many new players. I mean, Jake brought up the fact that uh, he's looking forward to seeing what Brooklyn does after their trade um, – basically the Celtics heart and soul and their best players are now playing for Brooklyn. So this is a team that has to find a new identity. It has a new coach. There's going to be a new system. And it's a team playing without its best player and point guard uh, for for who knows how long. So I'm not too worried. There's a lot of new pieces to try to fit into any sort of puzzle. So I think they're just getting used to each other in general. I'm, I'm not going to necessarily buy too much, especially coming from a guy who's probably not going to be there the whole season anyway. Interesting. I'm, you know, I'm hoping Joe Wallace remains for at least 2013, 2014, just so that he's there to keep together the team, especially when Rondo's out and not even be able to be on the floor. You know, it'd be helpful. I guess the main thing right, is, what, what is the main thing with that though is what is he keeping together? Yeah. And he's a guy that's kind of chasing a ring as well and, and, and wants to get that. I mean, you went to Brooklyn, thought they were going to have a championship team, and then Brooklyn said, no, "We think you get a championship team. It doesn't include you, but we think we have one." <laughs> So I, I think it could definitely be something where uh, they they can probably get a decent at it if someone's a big man away, if there's an injury down the road. I, I can definitely see him being moved and moved to a contender. I don't think Ainge has ever been necessarily against doing that. It's not necessarily about uh, – he, he doesn't seem like – he hasn't necessarily been a GM who's just going to move someone and make, make sure – they're far away in the in the in the West, just to stay away from the Celtics so it won't hurt them. I think he has shown ability to to work out deals that benefit the player as well as the team. Yeah, it makes sense. You're right. I think maybe I'm just falling a little bit for Gerald Wallace just because of watching him in these first few games, seeing somebody who. Hey, I'm fine with that. I want yeah. someone else on the, on the on the station who uh, who also likes what Gerald Wallace can do. I was, I was a pretty big, decent fan of him. I wa- I didn't think the contract he signed was that terrible, to be honest. Uh, uh, yeah, it was. Def- they definitely overpaid for him, but everyone's just so focused on last season, which yeah, it was his worst season. By like a lot, a lot. <laughs> I mean, he was pretty bad last year, but I just didn't think there was a way he was going to be that bad again. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he definitely has the talent and the aggressiveness to show 
that he'll be able to contribute to a team. And if anything, the outside shots working for him. Uh, you know, I think he's four for twelve from three point. He missed a few open ones last night, but taking shots when he needs to. And he actually knows when to take shots. A lot of these guys come into this team. It seems like the ball's being passed around a little too much. I think Tommy Heinsohn was talking about it a little bit last night. He was mad because they just don't want to take the ball and put it up at the hoop. And he's going to have a terrible season. <laughs> Tommy Heinz is gonna have, have no fun. He's gonna have he, no fun. It's gonna be. It's it's tough. <laughs> Dick Cowens was 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 definitely an interesting listen last night. It's just gonna be. It, there's there's gonna be a lot of fun with the Celtics just season in general, just because of all the pieces that come together. Not just the players, just even the broadcasters. Yeah. And the Celtics, you know, the radio on ninety eight five. The you know all the different parts of this season coming together. We're gonna be having a lot of new beginnings. Is what yeah. it's gonna feel like. And, and I think when the Celtics do really figure out a lineup and a rotation, I think that'll really help the offense in terms of, all right, I'm out here with these guys. Who's going to be the guy to take the ball and shoot? I mean, Jeff Green really has to be the guy whenever he's out there, especially without Rondo. He has to be. And he showed last season that he can be. So I'm not sure necessarily what's holding him back so far this season. Uh, But, again, we're only three preseason games in. The Celtics have a few more left. Uh, before the regular season gets underway, they're playing the Knicks tonight at 7.30. That's at home. They travel to Brooklyn on Tuesday the 15th, then play at Toronto on the 16th, a few days off before they play in Minnesota and against a team that I think a lot of people are looking forward to. I'm very excited to see Ricky Rubio and Kevin Love for a full season there at Jinxit. Which one of them is getting injured? <laughs> isn't it the question? Isn't the answer both? Like, isn't <laughs> the, don't we know that they're going to play a combined forty-five games and get lucky to see if we if oh we get to God. see them near the end of the season? If we can get seventy games from them, that would be great. That would be sixty games. I'll take sixty games from them. Sixty games, full health. That is a duo I want to see prosper in the NBA. Although. It's a team that, I, I mean, hey, that's an ownership group that really necessarily doesn't deserve uh, what, what they've done. They don't deserve something that special. I don't know how you go give that contract to Rubio over love. That just, uh, oh, my God. That's a way not to run a team. I guess well, it, we can pull a con. Uh. <laughs> that's great. That's great. And the weird, you know, you can catch that game on NBA TV. We got a few. It's great to see the Celtics on, on national television in the preseason, even though they won't be on national television at all, basically. <laughs> During the regular season. Yeah, and the, and the finale will be on ESPN. That's against Brooklyn, the preseason finale on the 23rd. Yeah, at the Garden. And and they'll be coming from on, on the Sunday game on October 20th against Minnesota. That's going to be in Canada at the Bell Center where the Montreal Canadiens play. They are all over the place. This is this is crazy. I, I just it's kind Not of weird. quite as far as their trip overseas last season. <laughs> yes, they did that. You know what made me think that they were going to do well last year was because they had done that. I think the last time they had done it was before the 2007-2008 season. Mm-hmm. It was going to be a great start to a new season, and then they finished 41 and 4. At least it was above 500, though. Yeah, well, that's just, yeah. But then also with Andrew Durando, I think that pretty much derailed the season. Yeah. They had the nice winning streak right after, and that was good while it lasted. But as as for this season, really not a whole lot of uh, not a lot of expectations, which will make it also very very fun to watch this season. Are there any other players on the Celtics who have impressed you so far in the preseason? Ooh, that's a tough one. Let me. I might have to rephrase the word impressed. Uh, have you been pleasantly surprised by the not terrible results by anyone so far this preseason? Well, I think you have to go with Selinger because, you know, two double-digit scoring games. You had mentioned at the beginning of the show his nice performance last night. And a plus-minus plus, plus, minus a plus 10. And yeah, nine, yeah, he's nineteen and nine, and then five of seven from the line, getting to the free throw line. That that's going to be something, and to bring it back to the, the frustration of Jeff Green, no free throws last night. You know, if if Jared Soldier is going to keep doing this, and you saw what he was doing was the, um, you know, doing it around the hoop, and that's something that the Celtics have had trouble with for many years. And he had a little bit of a spark last year. It's a huge thing to have a guy around the hoop who has a nose to the ball. And Dave Cowens, who definitely was a great big man in his day, was describing it on TV last night as 
he is that workman style that he can put the ball back in the hoop at any time. He even had this great floater that was off of a – it was like this mismatch of the ball at the elbow. He gets hit in the arm, falls back, and hits the shot for a three-point play. It's a great thing to see what he can do around the hoop and in the paint. So it's going to be a fun season seeing Sully. He's probably the most polished big man in terms of his offensive game on the Celtics. I'd put him over Bass because of his ability to play with his back to the basket. That's the big thing. He's got a big butt, which is a good thing if you're a big man in the NBA. Back, back, your, back your defender down. Get in there. He has a wide array of shots. He can pretty much do anything under the hoop. And he also has a really, really soft touch. He's got a lot of range. I mean, you mentioned the free throw percentage. He's 7-15 overall from the field, but he's definitely extending his range even more. I mean, he shot some three-pointers at Ohio State. Let's remember that. Oh, yeah. And, I, you know, it's been an interesting situation as far as his three-point shooting this year. I don't think – has he made one yet? I'm trying – he's 0-2 for two was, on Wednesday. He was 0-1 for one last night. I think 0-2 for two in the first game. So 0-5, a great start to the preseason. It feels like the Celtics, <laughs> just as a team in general, if he's comfortable out there. I know last night's was a end-of-the-shot-clock one. So yeah. at least – No, know, he I think, can. He can. I'm not saying he's going to do it, especially on the Celtics team, because, again, he needs to be in the middle. The Celtics really <laughs> – over the years, at, at, even in the Big Three era, they were more of a jump-shooting team. And that's happened when your center, your big man, is a jump-shooter. Kemba Garnett did not play with his back to the basket. He took jumpers from very far out. Yeah. And that was a big thing with, with the Celtics offense whenever they struggled uh, a lot as well, sometimes rebounding the ball because he just wasn't there on offense. He just wasn't there. So Sollinger played down there. He's a little bit undersized. They always had that center who would at least be in there to to, to rebound at the end of the day. And now they necessarily don't have that per se. Maybe Favarini can be that down the road. That mellow. Yeah, we thought that was going to be it. Favarini's kind of taking over that. But really the Celtics, uh, b- before Sollinger, I mean, who was, the last, who was the last big man that really t- did his craft that close to the basket? Big Al? Probably back then. That's probably as far back as you have to go. It's tough to like sneak in Leon Poe in there or Glenn Davis because you, they're the they're the. Because Davis was just pieces. like a Davis was is pretty much like a bass too. I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, sometimes he put his back there, but Davis's big thing was that he could shoot from way out, and guys who were big enough to guard him don't usually play out that far. He really stretched the floor. Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting point of view for uh, yeah for for a guy who is is really you don't see too many guys like this anymore in the NBA that the athletic running type of NBA that the Miami Heat are, are instilling in the league you know the Celtics are lucky to have a big man obviously he's a little undersized compared to the the big men that that the the, the NBA used to have you know the Shaquille O'Neals and like even Vladi Divac those like just big men who could clog up the middle. Sulker has some meat on him, and he can really move around. He just doesn't have the size of, like, a seven-footer. But it's mm-hmm. great to have him in there as a rebounder. And the Celtics are lucky if he can get 70, 80 games out of him this year. And they're going to need it. Oh, yes, They're going to need it because uh, his size. Because if you look at the East, yeah, the Miami Heat have kind of really been the poster child uh, ushering this era of you don't need a center to win, and you don't if you have LeBron James. But if you look at the other teams in the East, you got the Knicks with Tyson Chandler. He's a big boy. He's a real good defender, but also he plays with his back to the basket. He's not necessarily going to stretch the floor out there. You look at the Pacers between Hibbert and David West. Those are guys that really do the dirty work down there and also bringing in a guy like Scola for them. You look at the Bulls with Joe Kim Noah. They're the teams in the East, if you want to get it out of the East, you have to have size. You just have to now. And it's funny because... This is an era of point guards and the small ball. And now all of a sudden we have all these big men, all these quality big men floating around. Yeah, this is it's really interesting with the East. You're right. It's kind of like that, it, you know, they do use these big men. There really aren't that many of them, but they're 
they're definitely making a big impact. And if Fabrani can can really help out Salinger, and finally he's been nice around the hoop, it's going to be interesting to see if he, you know, hopefully doesn't turn into like a Rayful of Friends type that really wants to take the outside shot. But it seems like he's really instilled in what Brad Stevens wants to do. And I think this could be a big men combination for the future where the Celtics are bringing together a team that they want to usher into a new era. Well, we're just about wrapping up. You hear a little DMV in the background. It was so fun, Adam. Thanks so much to Jake Fisher and also Justin Fetzerman, our guest today on Celtics Beat. Remember, you can follow us at Celtics Beat. Stay tuned for next week's show. Thanks, everybody. Have a nice week. Hi. That was fantastic. And, um, just checking. Let's see. I don't, I think we'll definitely.